in three, two, one. John, are we live? We are live, sir. What's going on, buddy? Not too much, my man. How are you? I'm good. I'm exhausted because I'm getting ready to uh, head to London in a couple hours, and I got like two hours of sleep last night trying to get everything done and ready to go. So a little bit exhausted. How about you? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Not not going out of the country after this, unfortunately. Did you just get back from Italy? I did. I did. Did you even bother to unpack? <laughs> Barely. Actually, half my stuff was still in the suitcase, and I had to wash it to get it ready to go back out of town again. Okay. I'm very last minute with getting packed. I'm just going to give everybody out there a minute to feel bad for Modaka <laughs> because you know he's so busy doing laundry between international trips. They're going to feel uh, even less bad when I let them know I'm going to a wedding in Vegas, and I'm going to talk to our guests about Vegas because it's their favorite spot to go to in October, and then Tahiti in November for a wedding. So it's all weddings. I'm going this week for my cousin's wedding. So shout out to him because we got to do our shout outs. Absolutely. Shout out to my cousin who's getting married on Saturday. Cool. Um, and then one more shout out for me, and John always one-ups my shout outs, so I'm going to give him two, and then he's going to have some amazing uh, shout out uh, that uh, I can't match. But shout out to Ryan Cotter and Albron who are in LA right now getting ready for the Real Estate Rumble LA edition. It's going to be November 15th. They, I think, wanted to come live via Skype, but we're still working the Skype thing out. So I think they're going to be back next week, and we should probably uh, bring Cotter on for a couple seconds to talk about the Rumble in LA. Sure, sure. Um, anybody who's watching, if you have real estate contacts in LA, lenders, realtors, construction people, anybody in real estate in LA, reach out to myself, to John, to Cotter, to Albron. We wanna make sure that this event in LA is a hit because we're also going to Miami next year and all the money raised uh, goes to charity. So shout out to those guys, they're in LA right now trying to uh, push the real estate rumble and they're kicking butt. They are kicking butt and they're raising money. Is it Big Brothers Big Sisters out I there I think as well? so. I think Good all of it's still going to Big Brothers Big Sisters but Cotter would know better than me. Well, we'll have to have mine talk about it. Yeah, so <laughs> now go ahead, one-up me. Give me the Oh, no. Actually, this is just a sort of a blanket, across-the-board shout-out. Uh, everybody's aware that yesterday was the 17th anniversary of 9-11. And just a blanket shout-out to all the first responders, our armed forces. Don't get enough credit. Things go bad. It's all over the news. But when they do good stuff or run into danger, they don't get nearly the credit. So it's just a shout-out to... All the people that are trying to do the best they can to keep us safe. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, doing a very good job. There's bad apples everywhere. But the majority of everybody that's doing their job for us, I think, is doing a good job. And shout out to all of them. Well, you like 10 up me there. <laughs> he just like blew my shout outs out of the water. No, he did the 9-11 no, no. shout out. I, I should have though. thought of that. I mean, so. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. There's, there was no. There was no one-upping there. You you were talking about uh, L. Brown and Ryan raising money for a good cause. That's an awesome shout-out. You got weddings coming up. You said you are going to be in Vegas for a wedding. Yeah, uh, Vegas uh, for a wedding as is well. Is that your wedding? Are you, are you no, getting married? No, 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 no. My even... buddy Tripp's getting married uh, in, in, in okay. Las Vegas. I just want to make sure. His, wanna... And it's not one of those like shotgun Vegas weddings. Yes. His soon-to-be wife is actually from Nevada. So oh, they're actually good. having their wedding out there just oh, a little cool. bit off the strip. Okay, Although I'm staying on the strip. Well, that's that's the place to yeah, be. It makes makes sense. But uh, yeah, so it was charity and first yeah, responders. You, that and, was a big that was a big yeah. one up. <laughs> did you like not know that we have 
armed forces and first responders? I did, I did, and I should have thought about doing a 9-11 shout out. And then you would have had nothing. I would have had absolutely I would have completely nothing. goofed you up. Um, I want to get to the show, though, because yes. we have a couple on for the first time, a couple who are both entrepreneurs and work together. So I'm interested about the dynamic, interested about their businesses. Uh, Felicia and Patrick Rona of the Tankard and Compass Bar. Thank you so much for coming on. Felicia, I'll let you explain to everybody what Tankard is and what Compass Bar is. Um, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, so so what, I know what Tankard's at 1635 Milwaukee and Compass Bar is at 433 West Diversity. Um, Compass Bar came first? Compass Bar came first. Okay, yep. awesome. And um, explain the concept behind Compass Bar a bit. So Compass Bar opened about four and a half years ago. Uh, we are a, a craft beer and pizza place. Awesome. So we've got a brick oven, so we do wood-fired pizza, like thin crust style. Um, and we've got 20 taps and 180 bottles. So smokes. very big beer focus at Compass Bar. Uh, we've got a 40-seat patio out front, so uh, we do very well in the summer. People... Awesome out in the patio with their pups and enjoying, you know, the couple of weeks we get of nice weather in Chicago. I love it. <laughs> and uh, we've got eight TVs, so we are kind of a kind of upscale sports bar vibe. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, how about the Tankard? Tankard, um, it's similar vibe. It's still got that the sports bar kind of thing going. Uh, much different menu, though. Uh, we do, we have a tater tot focus at Tankard. Ooh. So we don't do pizzas, but... You know, upscale bar food, lots of tater tot options. Um, and as far as the, the beverage side, it's a little bit of everything. We've got some craft cocktails we do, nice beer programs, some uh, nice wine. So a little bit of everything at the Tankard. Well, everybody loves pizza. Everybody loves beer. Everybody loves tater tots. Yes. So you guys have hit all the big loves, mm -hmm. which is awesome. Um, Patrick, I'll go to you. What made you guys want to get into the barn restaurant business? Because it's a tough one. You know, a lot of people, they start for a year or two and then it kind of dies out and you guys have been successful for several years. What made you guys want to get into it? You know, I, um, waiting tables through college, uh, enjoyed it, uh, immensely. And I did go into corporate America post-college and realized I was happiest in life when I was actually waiting tables, um, coming up. And, uh, at a certain point I quit my job and went back into the restaurant, uh, industry and got into some upscale dining and, had to figure out how to make a living at this, um, and, and it's tough. I mean, uh, you, you hit the nail right on the head. It's a, it's a brutally hard industry to make a make a go at it and uh, stay uh, successful. Um, we're able to do it uh, at least thus far, and it looks like we're going to be able to do this uh, for the rest of our lives. But you know, there's a lot of sacrifices that go with it. We work we work really hard to do it. I can imagine. I mean, I have some friends that own bars and restaurants, and it seems like you always have to be present. We were talking off air about how you guys love going to Las Vegas, and it's, like you said, you can get away for three days, and it feels like a week because you don't really have the liberty of taking a whole week off, right? No, it's very rare that we get to do it. We did it for our honeymoon last year, and that's about the only time we've taken more than four or five days off ever. <laughs> it, so it's good that you enjoy it because if you didn't enjoy it and you couldn't get away for a long period of time, that would be rough. Um, what made you go from one to another? Because it, running one's hard, running two makes it so you guys have to split your time. In a, we in do, a and that's uh, definitely an acquired skill uh, that we had to uh, a skill we had to acquire when that happened. Because uh, everything is you know focused in one location, and then you've got two. It's two staffs. It's two schedules. It's two everything. Um, but we uh, we're making 
money on one and uh, you know, we are entrepreneurs we want to make a lot of money yeah and um we have a great set of investors uh behind us and they were fully supportive of doing a second one and um they're fully supportive of us doing a third one right now but we're still like all right let's wrap our arms around what we have <laughs> yeah. here uh so that we don't do a third location right now just for the because we can um, before we actually go to the investors and, and do a third concept, which we would like to do, uh, we just want to make sure we have the two button down. Yeah. Uh, and it's hard, and it's it's a constantly, you know, it's a fluid environment, and and everything is changing all the time, and trends with dining habits and you know staff, you know, hiring staff on and losing staff members, and anytime we think we have a set schedule, something happens, and we have to adjust for it and adapt and move forward. Yeah, I. It's great because I'm guessing these investors, they've probably invested or know of a lot of restaurants failing. So when they find two of you guys that are very successful at two different things, they're like, well, sign me up for a third or a fourth, and hopefully you guys will have 10 of them soon. That is the goal. But yeah, that was the, the hard thing. You know, Finding investors on the first one was hard. And then when the first one was successful, like we don't really, that, that was the great surprise. Like That's not really a, the hard part anymore. Now it's right. just, you know, finding workable concepts that we can, you know, make money at year after year, especially in an industry where like the first year is your best and then it kind of tapers off. Yeah. Um, so that was a nice relief. We, we didn't realize going into the second one, we anticipated more difficulty finding investor money for the second one than, they, than we did. That's great. Which is awesome. Felicia, did you also have a passion for this or were you just in it and then you're like, Hey, we're going to do this thing together. Um, I figured out at a, pretty young age that this is what I wanted to do. I think a lot of people get into the restaurant industry as a part-time job or while they're in school and then over time they slowly kind of figure out, hey, this is what I want to do. Kind of like what Patrick was saying, how after a while he realized that's when he had the most fun. For me, um, I moved to Chicago nine years ago for school and all throughout school I was bartending and serving. I started as a hostess and I figured out before I was done with college, like, all right, this is what I want to do. And we, we were working together. He hired me as a server um, at the Jay Parker six years ago. 2012. Yeah. And so um, guys met? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. And by that point, I had pretty much figured out, like, this is what I want to do. And I told him, like, hey, I'm interested in management. Like, I'd like to have a place one day. And then it, I don't, it all kind of fell into place. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And I always, I always joke, I, I feel like if... I work with the person that I'm dating. I would probably, they'd probably kill me, not the other way around. Um, how does that balance work? Do you guys both work um, at the same place all the time or is there because there's two, you guys are kind of splitting your time? Yeah, we're not in the same place that much anymore. We used to be, but yeah. now with two, I mean, we're rarely in the same building at the same time. <laughs> I don't like that. That's the one part I don't like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we are unique on that. And I and most uh, married couples or, or people that are in relationships have said that, like, I don't know if I could work every day with my significant other. Um, in our industry, we work so much that if if one of us was doing this and the other one was doing something else, I don't know if we'd ever see each other. Yeah. Um, but we we take all tasks on together. There's nothing that one of us does that the other one doesn't. So everything's interchangeable, uh, which creates some flexibility. So one week, you know, she may do all the payrolls for, you know, for both restaurants and then I will handle something else or vice versa. So that's a, a nice, um, you know, freedom we have is, you know, if something pops up, uh, we can take on each other's tasks. Um, generally speaking, we, we divide them up a little bit, but there's nothing we can't do 
of the other person's tasks. So that's nice. Yeah, that's really nice. Being able to be diverse in having that skill set from A to Z for both of you is great because, like you said, you can kind of fill in. You touched a little bit on staffing, and I, I always, when I look at restaurant businesses, and a couple of people have asked me to invest in one or two, I always kind of look at it as, Staffing seems to be one of those things that probably is really, really difficult because you have great staff that's probably with you for a long time and then people who just aren't showing up to work. Do you feel like that's one of the bigger hurdles? I think you uh, you undersold it. It's a nightmare. Oh, okay. It's a nightmare. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, yeah, it's that's not that nightmare. bad anymore, but it's uh, a nightmare. Particularly kitchen uh, staff is just very difficult to get. Um, you know, the, the restaurant community in Chicago is really supportive of each other. We all talk. Um, you know, I worked with Boca Restaurant Group for six years, and I still talk to the uh, owners of Boca Group, you know, fairly regularly. Uh, whenever I have questions, I think they're always a good resource. Everybody I've talked to is having a lot of trouble finding kitchen employees. It's just, um, it's a hard job. It doesn't pay. Uh, the, the, just the general standard doesn't pay that great. And um, everyone is so in need of kitchen staff that if a kitchen employee of ours does not show one day, unfortunately, um, we just there's nothing we can do and that person will have a job on somebody else's line cooking the next night because they're so in need right now that um you know you feel comfortable with staff and then someone's gone uh just like that so we're constantly on the lookout we basically have a perpetual sign hanging kitchen staff wanted um so that you guys have some backups yeah uh, a friend of mine owns a restaurant, Basil Leaf Cafe in Lincoln Park. Don't know if Very you've familiar heard with of it. Um, and he was running through that same problem. I mean, he, it was almost like he was in the kitchen all the time cooking. Have you guys become good kind of chefs because of it, Felicia? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I would go that far, but we both made sure we knew how to make pizzas at Compass. Yeah. So we can both crank a pizza out, maybe not as quick as the rest of our uh, cooks can, but that was one thing we learned the hard way was... We're both front of house people. We right. don't have background in the kitchen at all. So when Compass opened, we kind of had to, like I said, learn the hard way on how to manage a kitchen and and make pizzas if we have to. And then the other question I always had, and Felicia, I'll ask you this, is inventory. I always feel like it takes a while, especially when you open a bar, to be able to figure out how much of it you have to keep and how much of it you have to order. Cause I always think of restaurants like do they run out of stuff and then if somebody orders something they don't have it that's got to be that's a pretty fine balance there it's right? tough i mean in the front of house like if you have a bottle of vodka on the shelf it's not going to go bad right. so it's much easier to manage the front of house inventory i mean with wine and beer there there is you know an expiration date on that but in the kitchen it is it's hard to figure out how much do we need we do run out of stuff sometimes and that's okay i mean if you're up front with the customers like hey we had a crazy weekend like we're out of this or if it's a sunday we don't get deliveries on sunday so you know if we have to 86 something we run out of something that's fine um the one thing we cannot run out of at compass is pizza right <laughs> so it's yeah it takes a lot of work and figuring out how much you need without the waste that's the big part of it because if you're throwing food away you're ordering too much that's that's costing you a lot of money. Yeah. So it's a lot to manage. <laughs> and you said you moved here nine years ago. Where are you yeah. from originally? Nebraska. Nebraska, okay. Mm -hmm. And Patrick? From I'm here? from uh, South Side of Chicago. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We talked off air. People mm -hmm. who are now watching did not know that. We talked <laughs> about the uh, people with shamrock tattoos. It's like John. He's got one <laughs> hidden. He's got one hidden somewhere, but not telling us where. 
not going to tell you. Until I see some money on the table. Well, Maggie will, Maggie will jump on soon here, and then she can tell us where your hidden tattoo is. <laughs> Maggie, if you're watching, and she always is, just let us know where John's hidden tattoo is. She is way up high in the sky flying today. So oh, she is? SOL, my friend. Oh, yeah. shout out to her. She's <laughs> usually commenting. Uh, yeah. His girlfriend's usually watching at all times, and she's uh, one of our biggest supporters. So where's she flying to? Uh, she was in Washington, D.C. last night. She's doing four stops on her way home today. Yikes. Oh yeah, gosh. she, uh, try and think. I don't know. She, I don't know how many how many miles she's flying today. But. Well, the hurricane's coming, so anybody on the East Coast has got oh, yeah, yeah. flights she, are all over she, the map. She was up and out of there at uh, like 6 o'clock this morning. I had a friend of mine that went down to Florida for a trip, and then they said, well, we're evacuating. So he got there for a day. Actually, Matt Rosen also watched our show. Yeah, he, uh, and he had to fly right back. He had to take a couple different stops to get home because the hurricane was coming. But I think it's going to miss Florida completely, so I think... Yeah, but the poor guy, he was in the Carolina this week. Yeah. And just, yeah, he's like, all right, so there's my vacations. Yeah, he, they literally told him he has to evacuate, so he had to just book a plane and come home yeah. with his wife and kids. Um, Vegas, which we were talking about off air, doesn't have any hurricanes, which is awesome. Right. Um, <laughs> Your favorite place to go is Vegas? Yeah. We we got married in Vegas last year. Oh, really? Year. Yeah. Okay, yeah. awesome. Where <laughs> it was in Vegas? a planned wedding. Though. Yeah, it was a planned <laughs> wedding. You guys did do a, uh, uh, the hangover and go to the chapel right. and get the buck. Yeah. Awesome. Where in Vegas did you guys get married? Uh, we got married at the Paris. Okay. Um, we just invited um, our siblings and our parents. It was real small, and it was great. We, we got married on a Friday, and then the next day we hung out with the whole family at the pool and had some drinks, and... It was, it was a good time. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, who is like the person who loved Vegas first? Was it you, Patrick? Me. I lived in Vegas for a few years. Oh, really? Um, when I decided to go back into restaurants, I quit my job, and I packed my car, and I moved out to Vegas, and I worked on the Strip and had a blast for about two years and then oh, realized maybe it was time to go home and grow up. <laughs> but that's, a, that's probably a really good place to start. I guess experiencing a crazy restaurant scenario because it's constant. Everybody's in and out. Half the people are probably still wasted. My it's first of- job in Vegas waiting tables was at the Grand Lux in the Venetian. And that place seated 700 people and was open 24 hours Holy a day. Crap. And I remember um, behind the scenes food getting delivered by the pallet. I mean, it was a machine. Uh, not a high-level restaurant by any means, but that was just a machine. Yeah, it's the stress of it. And you had said at the beginning of the show that you really enjoyed it. I know a lot of my friends who do it part-time, and I, I, a lot of our realtors will, will dabble into it sometimes because real estate's one of those jobs that's commission-based, and they'll dabble into the industry a bit. Almost none of them love it. So it's, it's awesome that you enjoyed it, you enjoyed that aspect of it, and then moved into the business side of things. Yes. Um, I just, to this day, I mean, I'll occasionally wait a table or bartend, and the very act of like putting a menu in front of somebody and going over what our specials are and, um, you know, get in the water and, and then find out what they're interested in trying, I, I love it. Like, it's, I don't know why. Uh, from the day I started, I think it's the coolest thing. And now I get to do it about my own restaurants instead of somebody else's restaurant. Uh, but I really want when people come in to have a great time, yeah. have a real solid experience and and come back. Um, you know, our restaurants are not areas where people are, they're not destination spots. Um, Compass, for example, is craft beer and wood-fired pizza. It's not hard to find a craft beer bar in the city. And it's not hard, It's you know, you can't 
swing a dead cat without hitting a pizza place in this city. Yeah. So 90% of our clientele walk up uh, from you know the you know, within a block or two. So the only way we make it is if the people that are immediately around us support us and come back again and again, uh, and they do, uh, which is great because we get to do this every day. But um, the hospitality angle of it is is really important to me, and it's it's great because I enjoy it. I mean, it, that's my favorite part of my job. Oh, I love that because it's a lot of people will do this sort of thing, and I I have some other friends that own bars and restaurants, and you can tell it's not really their passion. They they got into it because they thought a concept would make some money, and then it almost seems like they're miserable doing it. I I, I know they're miserable doing it because I talk to them about it. Um, but they're just deeply invested in it. But that's a terrible way to be, especially in this industry, which can at times be fickle. And Patrick, you touched on changing trends. Um, happens a lot in Chicago, I'm guessing. It does. It's just, um, you know, we're five years in now, four and a half at Compass. And just seeing things like, um, you know, and I can't explain some of this stuff. But this year, for example, if it rained or sprinkled rain at, four o'clock when we first open it could be 75 and sunny at 7 p.m our patio isn't full and like but if it didn't rain that day we would have a jammed patio with people waiting to get on it i don't get the like we just see little trends shift and change as time goes on um we're getting later crowds now at compass on the weekends that we never did you know midnight 1 a.m um which was great i mean some of it's you know good some of it's not but you know you're always constantly trying to have your staff there when you have people there and it's not good when typically you've got eight people in the bar at 1 a.m., but you cut all your staff now and you've got 40. Right. Um, then, you know, we got home from work and then we're getting back in the car and heading back up to help because I don't want people to wait 20 minutes to get a beer. That's um, crazy. So it's just some of the you know, flexibility you're forced to have. And it, it makes it tough. You guys are like on call. You guys are like doctors. Like yeah, when we're something, never not on call. Yeah, you guys <laughs> just go right back. What time are the two places open to? Uh, during the week, we're only open till midnight, and then okay. Friday, Saturday, we're open till two. Till two, so. awesome. So last call is one thirty. Yeah, you guys are basically yeah. like doctors. You're on call. We are always on call, and we live a couple blocks away from Compass, which is a good and bad thing at times because the staff knows that we can get there in five minutes. Right. Um, they're they don't take advantage of that. Like they're pretty good about trying to like you know if they know we're off that day they try really hard not to call us they try to figure it out on their own but there's plenty of times we have to go up on our day off now so. are you guys so do you not go to sleep until two o'clock is that kind of the we just know not to go to sleep i mean we kind of have that that vampire lifestyle i mean yeah. We, yeah we we stay up late even if we're not working and we tend to sleep in a little bit later that's just that's part of the industry i think yeah, yeah. i don't know a lot of people who are in the industry who like to get up at you know 7 a.m., 6 a.m., like like the 9 to 5ers, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm usually up late. 2 o'clock-ish is when I typically go to sleep. But I'm up by around 8 o'clock, so I get almost six hours sometimes. Yeah. But I almost never go to sleep before 2. But I can imagine you guys, if you do, you're probably stressed out going to sleep wondering what's going on at the bar. Yeah. I mean, we've got a great staff, and we, we've got some um, managers that – we really trust and we have our business partners at the bar who also spend time there and um we can still go to bed sometimes if the bar is still open but we tend to just be awake anyway yeah that's your your schedule yeah yeah what do you guys do outside of the bar to just kind of r and r 
Outside of going to Vegas. Um, we spend time on the couch with our cat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we both really like to read. So a lot okay. of times we'll, we have a lot of books that we have two sets of. We'll read the same book at the same time. Love so, it. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a, uh, I, I love reading. I started using Audible because I'm in the car a lot. I drive almost 30,000 miles a year. Wow. But I've, according to John, been going on a lot of vacations. So I've been <laughs> buying. When I'm, when I'm on vacations, I'll buy a book and read them. Any mm-hmm. favorites? Uh, I'm we're both big Harry Potter fans. Okay. I uh, I've been a big Harry Potter fan since it came out, and even before we started dating and we were just working together, um, we kind of did a book swap. So I read the Game of Thrones books, and I gave him my Harry Potter set, and he read the Harry Potter set, and then we would like talk about the books together. Well, I like them both. Mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, I'm obsessed with. I mean, I have an obsession, and apparently they're doing a spinoff of it now. Yeah, I heard that. Are they ever going to finish the books, though? That's just... No. He's so far behind, I think. I don't know how he's going to catch up. What I heard is, and my sister's read all the books, and she's an even bigger fan than I am, that he gave them his preferred ending of how he saw it was going to end or how he thought it was going to end, and they're just going to finish it up. But I think that's going to kill his book sales now because everybody who's watched it has kind of seen it play out. I think this has become his biggest nightmare, his greatest success. Yeah. I don't think he wants to finish him. I think he wants to do other things. And I think he's ticked off that people have figured out the ending yeah. even before he told HBO. And uh, I'm, I'm a little frustrated. So <laughs> because, <laughs> the, because the books didn't catch. waiting six years for the next book. Yeah. yeah. So. He's, he's older, though, right? He might, he might not make it. That's, so, yeah. Because yeah. the books are thick. Mm-hmm. They're thick. <laughs> They're pretty big books. Um, I can't wait till it comes back. I'm bummed out that it's only one more season and it's kind of condensed. But what I did hear was that each episode runs the cost of a full-length movie because the cast is so big, the shoots are so big, and every single one is basically like making a full-feature film. It's nuts. I would think the cast is also probably making bank on every episode now as opposed to season one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sure Jon Snow is making a pretty penny but i also heard that a lot of them want to be able to go do other things now and because they shoot basically year-round to be able to finish all the episodes that they can't they're almost stuck well they're nine years into this too now at some point you want to do something different i would think yeah i think that's that's what they were saying is they just they want to go do something different now it's like uh what's his name uh um the James Bond guy who was like, I don't want to do James Bond anymore. Oh, uh, Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. Yeah, he doesn't want to do it anymore. I think they're going to bring him back on for one more, but they were going to pay him $100 million for that next film so that oh. he would come back. Yeah. <laughs> it's $100 million bucks for him to do one more, and then they're trying to find the rest of them. It buys a lot of $4 Miller lights. It does. It does. <laughs> and a lot of pizzas as yeah. well. Um, did uh, Patrick, I'll start with you. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? You know, my father uh, is an entrepreneur. He's had his own legal practice for 40 years. Um, and then I have a, one of my brothers uh, is a fi- uh, family physician, and he's an entrepreneur, owns his own medical practice. So it runs in our family, uh, yeah. for sure. Um, I also, you know, I, I don't think I ever would have been the person to go work in a cubicle from nine to five. I remember I went to Marist High School on the south side, and I caught the bus my freshman year at 6.36 a.m., I remember waking up for that at 14 going, there's no way I'm going to do this the rest of my life, get up at this time. Like, it's just not how I'm built. So restaurants really lent itself to, you know, not um, having that type of really set life. Uh, There's a lot of risk involved with that. I mean, there's a lot of sleepless nights I have not having, you know, knowing I'm going to make X amount of money this weekend, um, you know, on on payday. But um, 
it's, it's, it runs in the blood and it's just kind of how I operate. Yeah. You know, it's, I think I'm a lot like you and a lot of people we've had on in the last, you know, I think this is episode 22, in the last several months said the same thing. They said, we just couldn't do a nine to five. And I've, I've asked friends of mine who are business owners, what would it take monetarily for you to go back to a nine to five job or to work in a cubicle? And they throw these crazy numbers out because I, I would too, my number would be outrageous because I just like you could not get up sit on the Edens when I have to be somewhere at nine, sit in a cubicle, have somebody tell me this is what you got to do. And then at five o'clock, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do the same thing. And then the next day, rinse and repeat. That would drive me nuts. All that sounds awful. Yeah. And not only that, somebody telling me what to do uh, is just something like we sacrifice a lot to be able to be our own uh, bosses. And I love it. And I don't think I could ever go back at this point. and, but on the on the flip side, we're looking at cameras at midnight. You know, right. wonder if we throw our clothes back on and head up to work. That's the sacrifice that comes with that. But uh, we really do enjoy. You know, we're very self motivated people. Uh, being able to just to kind of control our own destiny and not have to take instructions and look at TPS reports or whatever yeah. <laughs> whatever our managers would tell us to do. It's crazy. Like I'm going out of town today and. I've probably worked 35 hours in the last two days, and I'm going to work while I'm out of town. And a lot of people say, well, you could just up and leave. And I'm like, I can't, but I, my phone will turn international the moment I get there. I will still be working. I never shut off. I think that's what a lot of people don't get. The 9 to 5 will envy entrepreneurs, and you know, at times we envy the fact that you, know, you can just unplug. I was up till you know, way past two last night trying to get work done. Felicia, were you kind of always the entrepreneur type two or did you fall into it? I was never, I've never done the nine to five thing ever. (laughs) Um, I was, I was really into the arts. Um, When I moved out here, I, uh, I went to Columbia. Okay. I was a musical theater major my freshman year and then sophomore year I switched over to arts management. So I, I never really even entertained the idea of working in an office or doing the nine to five. Um, I don't know if I was always necessarily on track to be an entrepreneur, but like once I figured out that I loved working in restaurants and and I enjoyed it much more than what I was, you know, working on in school or whatever, I I knew that if I was going to do this, like I wanted to have my own. I didn't just want to be a manager for a restaurant group or something. Like I knew, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have my own restaurant. So, I it's fascinating because I feel like now that you guys have done two successful restaurants it doesn't matter you guys will do 10 more successful ones and I, I feel like if they even took you out of the restaurant world even though you guys love it and they put you in a business because you guys have been successful already you can go and be successful in another business you see so many entrepreneurs that once they've realized what it takes to struggle through all the crap you have to struggle through and opening a restaurant by the way is probably tougher than just a regular business because of all the things you got to go through with the city, with the state. You guys have a million hoops you have to jump through mm-hmm. to do that. But I feel like now you can go and be successful doing anything and everything that you want to do. I mean, restaurants are a very slim profit margin. And like once you learn how to manage people and manage inventory and keep your eye on the bottom line, I think those are kind of universal ideas. So, yeah. I mean, I would agree, I think we could always try our hand at something else, but you know, this is what we love. And it's the, it's the interacting with people. It is, you know, when we do the bartending shifts or we're on the floor managing, like talking to people and 
the number of regulars that we have that they walk in the door and you don't even have to say anything. You just grab the beer that you know they want and put it on the that's bar for awesome. them. Like, that's why we do this. That's so, awesome. Yeah. And um, like Patrick, you had said, it's a lot of people from the neighborhood within a couple blocks walk over and become regulars. Yeah, they become friends. I mean, we went yeah. to an Aaron Waters show party um, on Aaron Waters show weekend with people that we've waited on, had in our restaurant for five years that we've now become friends. We do dinner with it's. Um, you know, they're, they start out as guests. They almost become like family. Yeah. Um, and with our lifestyle, I mean, with how much we work, we see them quite often more than family. Yeah. Uh, but going back to your point with Felicia with restaurants and getting them open, and I, I think this is kind of a universal uh, angle to take as, as an entrepreneur that I think would lend to other industries is, you know, we want each of our restaurants to be, you know, unique. It's a unique feel. You walk in, it's different than other bars and restaurants. Um, but we did learn uh, very quickly that, you know, we're doing different types of food at each restaurant, but you know, behind the scenes, it all has to run with you know McDonald's-like efficiency, or else you're not going to make any money. As she said, it's a slim margin industry. If you're making 15 cents on the dollar, you're killing it in restaurants, uh, and that's our goal. You know, most other you know entrepreneurial efforts, if you're making 10 cents on the dollar, like it's a waste of your time. It's so Absolutely. it really is a passion to do this, but um, you know, the efficiencies we've learned to put in place. Um, I think would lend really well to other industries. We just don't know if we'd ever want to leave restaurants or what we'd want to do outside. So we just really like restaurants. If it's broke, don't. If it's not broke, don't fix it. I mean, you <laughs> guys are kicking butt. Yeah. And that that margin, I didn't know that the fifteen cents on a dollar. That is historically a very small margin for an entrepreneur. So you guys do have to be efficient. And then any sway one way or the other really is dramatic for you guys because there's not a lot of profit margin to play with. There isn't. And, you know, a, a good example that we had this year was uh, April. The weather in spring, this is for Compass because we have a patio. Yeah. Uh, Tankard doesn't. So Tankard had a just a fine April. But Compass, uh, with having such bad weather, we didn't get uh, our first patio day of the year until April 30th. Whoa. So you couple that in a city where, I mean, if it's 65, people are, you know, if it's 55, they're out there bundled up because they want to, you know, be on a patio. Um, couple that with the Blackhawks being an upscale sports bar that we are, not making the playoffs. Uh, that was a double whammy. Our April was like, we looked at the numbers, and it was like, this is unbelievable how slow it can be. And then, and this is where having experience as business owners for a couple of years, all right, let's adjust staff. Like you have to, you know, you have to adjust in the middle of it. You can't, you can't get through it and then go, oh, we should have run slimmer and done that. Like we, you know, the problems never. You know, with the changing trends, the problems don't stop. But I think you get better at adjusting to them um, to stay alive. And uh, we have had a great summer after that once it warmed up. But, I, you know, if this was the first year we were open, I don't know how we would have reacted to April being so, you know, strange compared to other Aprils. We had really been bent over a barrel. Yeah, I mean, you guys have to shift on the fly. Like you said, if, if, if it starts bad, you have to figure out what to do to make it better. And that's hard because... You, Weather is very unpredictable here. So are sports teams. Yes. Although the Bears might, they might be okay this year. At least people, <laughs> at least people are probably <laughs> going to get behind them this year because there was enough excitement. I think in Game One, where I think that second funny. quarter looked great. Yeah, and I, you know, I was getting text messages. My birthday's this Sunday, actually, and then on Mondays the Bears game. And I'm not like the world's biggest Bears fan, but I had a couple people saying, "If you, if you're out of town, let's go watch the Bears on Monday." And I'm like. 
you don't normally go and watch the Bears, but I feel like <laughs> that first game got people at least excited enough, although heartbreaking, that they are probably going to be at least a hot ticket if they can win one or two games in a row coming up here. If they lose the next I two, think you're right. I think you're right. We'll be in trouble. Knock on wood. Yeah. And then the Cubs. Cubs, the last couple of years have that's been great. Been great for you that's guys. That's been great. Um, and they look like they're going to do it again. That would be. Uh, That'd be nice. That would be winning awesome. baseball doesn't happen much in the city. So if we can get a five year stretch, I'll, I'll yeah. Take it. <laughs> and it's it's funny that you mentioned the sports. I have a couple of friends that has sports bars, and they mentioned the same thing. They said, you know, if the season is going really well, people are out and about, they're watching the games. But if they're doing bad, then you guys have to account for that. You have to account that that's probably going to shift uh, shift profits a bit. It's going to shift profits a bit. Um, also, you just you have to realize there's nothing you can do to affect that. Like, it's not like you know if the Blackhawks within three years go from a title-winning team to a team that's not even going to sniff the playoffs. Like, there's no amount of like Facebook posts and social media you can do to 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 fix that. You need to recognize what's going to happen, and sometimes you hunker down, and uh, you know when it's busy, you, you take it for all it is, and. You know, at, at the end of the day, it's uh, I always say it's one long poker session. It's not one hand of poker. Right. So you look how you do year by year, not day by day or, or week by week. Um, you know, and make your money that way. Marathon, not a sprint. Yep. Felicia, I'll go to you. Um, any advice for somebody looking to be an entrepreneur or looking to get into the restaurant business, one or the other? Well, we, we always have a joke when people say they want to open a bar, we tell them don't. <laughs> yeah. It's like when people ask me to go to law school, I'm like, eh, don't yeah. do that. Yeah, I, I think the restaurant industry is unique in that a lot of people think because they hang out in bars and like to drink in bars that maybe they could own one. Um, we, we do not recommend that. <laughs> There's so much that goes into it that you don't see. There's so much behind the scenes, like any business. There's sure. so much behind the scenes, like... It's, it's almost unfathomable how much goes into running a restaurant. Um, but I mean, we love what we do. Like he said, working for ourselves is, is great. I, I don't know how we would go back to working for someone else. But, yeah. I mean, we, we live and breathe it every day. Um, there's not a day where we're, where we're not on call or looking at the cameras, figuring out what's going on, looking at sales. Um, so, I mean... If you have a passion for it, I think you got to go for it. But you have to want to do that more than more than you want to breathe. I mean, more than anything. More else. than anything, yeah. And then marketing is tough in in bars and restaurants because we were talking about Facebook in general before we got an air. It's like you're constantly bombarded with stuff. Yeah. From and there's so many bars and restaurants in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Have you guys found that you have to learn so much about marketing and? just social media presence you know when restaurants when we first opened compass and even when we first opened tankard there was this idea that like if you open a good restaurant with good food and good service that people will come and i guess we've learned that's not necessarily the case like we have had to focus a little bit more on like not gimmicks but like what specials can we do that people that will bring people in and like doing the facebook posts um, a big thing we did at Tankard is we partnered with Nebraska for um, football. So we oh, partnered cool. with the Alumni Association. And like that was a huge move for us because that is the one caveat. You guys were talking about sports, and it depends if the team is good. The Nebraska fans show up win or lose. Right. It is it is die hard. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun, especially being from Nebraska because yeah. I am a huge Husky <clears throat> fan. Um, but last year we had one of the worst seasons ever. And we were still packing the bar for the games. I feel like college sports in general, people come to watch their college team no matter what, yeah. whether they're good or bad. Yep. Because there's so many rivalries in college too, 
Whereas you don't have as many, I mean, Bears-Packers is a rivalry, but you don't have as many crazy rivalries in pro sports that you do in college. Yeah. I just, it's a more passionate fan base. I don't know what it is. I mean, with college football, like, there are so few games. I mean, people, it's a short season. So they want to be there for all the games. They want to hang out and drink beer. And if they can't tailgate, at least they can go to a bar where everyone is cheering for their team. And it's, it's a lot of fun. John, we're going to have to go during one of their college games. I'm we're, all about it. We're aged out a little bit, but we'll go and uh, we'll have some fun. Uh, Patrick, I'll ask you because I always talk to my buddies who own uh, uh, bars and restaurants about Yelp. Um, it's like the place where people go to just bitch and complain. Have you guys found that you have to work with them? We don't. Um, I. Uh, it's funny you did mention Yelp, uh, and this is kind of – I always joke, nobody Yelps an oil change place. Yeah, no. Um, uh, you know, 90% of Yelps come for restaurants. Now, we, you know, a lot of restaurants will respond. We won't, I think Yelp is awful for restaurants. Terrible. You know, we put our heart and soul into a concept and we open it up. And, and our clientele is fantastic at both restaurants. It really is. But it's an industry that if you don't get their cocktail to them in five minutes, they want to go on Yelp and put you out of business. Yeah. And um, I remember when I first read a few Yelp reviews when we opened up Compass, like, that were negative like it cut me like i was like i was crushed because we're working so hard and yeah. someone would just come in and go nah 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 you know and, and and tear you up i we do read all of our yelp reviews now still because occasionally you do find a nugget in those yelp reviews you're like wow that's a great point that's a good critique we need to do that better or we need to do that differently but i i won't give yelp the satisfaction of I won't either. Of like commenting on Yelps or sending back. Uh, we've had a pay, uh, uh, excuse me, a PR company at one point we worked with that was responding to those for us. Um, we don't do that anymore. I, I won't. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. So I tell everybody, Yelp is a useless algorithm, and it doesn't. Especially, I feel terrible for bars and restaurants because the only people who go on there are people who are bitching for the stupidest things, not understanding that <laughs> it's just. Everybody's working so hard to give you a good experience. You don't need to just go bitch about everything. There's just people who bitch about everything. But, um, and I don't know if you guys know this, but Yelp has had like 40 class action lawsuits mm-hmm. against them. So I had a company that uh, I was representing representing them on the legal side, and they did um, laser skin like therapy sessions, and they were uh, working with um, a Groupon, and a past employee left and then told a bunch of people to write all these negative reviews about them. So they went on and they just wrote all these terrible reviews. And they went from like a four star to like a one star place and Groupon dropped them. And a big portion of their business was Groupon. So I get this call, you know, panicked call. Mm -hmm. Our business is going down the drain. This is going on. Um, And we got a call from Yelp that said, well, if you pay us $500, we can help you filter stuff out. And it's like, so you're extorting them. You're, you're, it's a you're, shakedown. Yeah, it's a shakedown. You, you've taken all their good reviews, you've filtered them out, and you're leaving the crappy reviews, and now you're telling them they have to pay you so that you can get that back. So I sent a big demand letter to, um, uh, to Yelp, and I got a call back about five weeks later from a guy, and it was like a number out in San Francisco, and he goes, yeah, hi, this is so-and-so from Yelp's legal department. I got your demand letter. Good luck. You're never going to win. We've been sued a bunch of times. Why don't you Google class action Yelp and uh, have a great day? And he hangs up the phone on me. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I had never in my entire life received wow. a call like that. And I was livid. I'm like, 
F this guy, yeah. I'm going for broke. So I called the class action attorney and he's like, yeah, these guys are, um, they extort people and it's a bullshit business because they have such a great algorithm in place that there's nothing you can do to stop it because their SEO is so good. But you I'm should check you out Yelp's Yelp reviews. <laughs> they have that's them? entertaining. Yeah, go Yelp. I don't Yelp them, but I went and looked Yelp's. Yelp. They have their own Yelp. Yeah, they're about, they're about like a one and a half or a two star. Oh, oh that's got to be that. so much fun. Oh yeah, I, we've gotten those phone calls too, and it's just a cheery sales rep going, "You've got great Yelp reviews, but if you do some advertising, they'll be even better." And it's click. I'm not giving you my money. Yeah, we are, our real estate office is the exact same way. We just we won't humor it. We won't mess with it just because I, I believe it's a, a a BS site that just. We have found over time that the frequency of the Yelps that we're getting at a restaurant have gone down drastically. I think people are on yeah. to them. Um, well, and I think, too, um, Google and Facebook mm -hmm. have really yeah. taken some of Yelp's business. Because on Google and Facebook, you can give a rating without writing anything. Right. So we get a lot of people who like don't necessarily want to write a review, but they'll give us five stars, yeah. and, and that's it. And I think people like that they don't actually have to write right. something. And I, I agree. There's also, I think the big problem with Yelp is there is no um, obligation on the Yelper to write anything factually correct. Right. And there's times where we've had people come in and, you know, talk about our food and our prices and they're just, they're factually wrong. And it's like, I, I almost want to respond and go, are, are you sure you were in our restaurant? Because we don't, we don't even carry those ingredients. Like, yeah. Um, was it one thirty, and you had 17 shots of tequila yeah, and you were yeah, actually yeah. two doors down and you walked past our bar and that's the last thing you remembered? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that's it. That's what I want to ask what happens. <laughs> um, so, Felicia, do you do a lot of the social media stuff? It sounds like you have yeah, like a good grasp more, on it. Yeah, more so than Patrick does. I'm not a social media fan. <laughs> <laughs> but you but, become it. It becomes a business tool. Yeah, you have to use it. Um, so yeah, I, I do a lot of the Facebook stuff. We're, we don't have a huge presence on Instagram or Twitter, but um, we try to put the posts out there, especially... Yeah. And it's mostly regarding like upcoming events or like I'll put a, a post up about the Nebraska football game a couple days before, like, you know, Cubs games and what our specials are. Well, you hit it on the head. Facebook and Google, especially Facebook's algorithms for advertising a business page have gotten so good and you can target market so much. I was listening to um, Gary V. He did this thing where he was ripping Subway apart about how Subway did this um, television ad. And he said, you guys spent X million dollars on this television ad. You could have target marketed everybody you wanted on Facebook and you would have spent a tenth of that. Now, I take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because Gary Vee is a big investor in Facebook. So of course he's pushing his brand a little bit, but that's the cool part, I guess, about Facebook. And I was like, you, yeah. I didn't love social media. And now my friends joke, they're like, you're on Facebook all day long. And I'm like, I look at it as a business tool and I teach agents of ours that are like, well, we don't really love Facebook. I'm like, back in the day, you used to have to send mail to everybody mm -hmm. to get in touch with them. That's like 80 cents. Yeah. You know, if you're sending to a thousand people, that's $800. Now you just make a Facebook ad for a couple bucks and... Yeah, you can boost a post for $5 and yeah. it's great. It, it tells you exactly what the outreach is, how many people saw it, how many people interacted with it. So It's, it's becoming a little bit scary though because Facebook now stocks everything you do so if you google so if i google i like watches if i google a watch all of a sudden that's the only ads that are popping mm -hmm. up for me yeah freaks me out i know and that's why we can... get all the vegas ads popping up <laughs> yeah, yeah all the time <laughs> <laughs>
I was always careful about my what I was Googling because I'm especially at work. If you Google something, and th- that that IP address gets tagged, mm-hmm. so then whoever else logs into the work Facebook, those ads pop up. <laughs> so sometimes I actually at so what the, were you Googling? I actually it's not bad for me, but sometimes the browser history in my office is entertaining. Not for me, but oh no, of course not for you. No, not for me. no. I have a personal computer. Interesting. I, I kind of look at though, and maybe we need to reevaluate this. And this is definitely, I think, an area where we're most challenged is our social media presence and, and maybe getting better at it. I kind of have always looked at social media marketing, kind of the way I do with like our, you know, delivery services through Grubhub and Uber Eats is. It's not really a benefit to do it, but you have to do it because it's a detriment if you don't. Because right. everyone's doing the same things. Yeah. Um, so we do them, but maybe we need to be better at them. Do you find, and I'm going to touch on Grubhub and Uber Eats for a second, do you find that um, that's a little bit challenging? Because I always think, and I, I, I know this myself, when I, when I go and I eat at a restaurant or a bar, it's obviously, it just came out, I eat it. When somebody has to drive it to me and it's a little bit colder, it's obviously not as good. But I know that, so I'm never going to complain about that because I ordered it and it's my convenience, so it's delivered to me. Do you feel that that's kind of a tough part of that business? I don't. I think everyone gets that at this yeah. point. I mean, this is a society now where everyone orders out yeah. you know, a couple nights a week. Um, my issue more with the the marketing of that is the, the fees that Grubhub and Uber Eats take are okay. so big. Um, you know, we've got plenty of times where Uber Eats will deliver across the street from us. So, you know, they take a third of the order. Whoa. Yeah. And, and, and then charge a delivery fee to the person across the street. So I've had it where literally somebody lives, I could, I could throw a, a rock and hit their window and they'll place a, a $30 order with us. And now they're paying 35 instead of 30 if they just called and come and pick it up. And I get 21 instead of 30. And Uber Eats gets $14 for an order placed. I didn't know that. Yes. And so I, we do it because I'd still rather get that order than have the restaurant down the street get it. Right. Um, but like we don't, we arguably lose money on, yeah. on the transaction. The only way I justify it is the kitchen labor. And we're, we're very much numbers and cents people, dollars and cents people is, um, I would have that kitchen guy standing there anyway. And we've right. never done so much delivery to require me to have an additional kitchen person in there. So I, I basically don't include the labor on that part of the sales because the guy's there anyway. And then it, then it justifies us doing that. I never knew they took that much because when I would be hung over in the city, I live in Northbrook now, so everything's far. I would order from right around the block and they would deliver. And I never knew they'd take that much from the business. I would have mm-hmm. just walked over. I would have felt bad then. I have a funny Uber Eats story. Um, I ordered from a taco place in uh, Wheeling. I live in Northbrook. And the guy picks it up. He's driving in the wrong direction. And then it cancels the order. And he stops for like five minutes and it cancels the order. So I'm like, what the heck? I didn't cancel the order. And I was starving. So I call the restaurant. I'm like, hey, did you cancel? And they were like, no, the driver said you canceled. I'm like, I didn't cancel. I think he's eating my food. Like he's <laughs> eating my tacos in a parking lot. For free. For free. <laughs> I'm starving. And he was very nice. And he's like, well, we'll order again. And Uber Eats called me. And they were like, hey, we'll comp that. We'll send you another meal. But some guy ate my damn Uber Eats meal. I was so pissed. We've had and that happen. Good. We've had that happen. Yeah. You have? Yeah. I've, I've, I've got one I think he even tops that. Uh, Uber used to have a delivery uh, service called Uber Rush. Okay. So if somebody placed a Grubhub order for, through me, we didn't use Grubhub delivery. We used Uber Rush. Okay. And... Uh, 
it was a delivery down to the diversity docks and they took the food uber rush and they went down there and they called and the guy didn't answer immediately on his boat so they just canceled the order and then i called the guy like 10 minutes later because i'm getting a call from the dock where the, the the person that ordered the food is upset where's my food and so i called the delivery driver and he goes yeah i called the dock he didn't answer so we're told to just throw it away and i go you threw our food away and he goes well no actually i got an uber uh rider and I just gave them the food. They really enjoyed the pizza. And I'm oh like, my God. are you kidding me? Oh, so this person paid for an Uber ride and got a free Compass pizza, which, you know, maybe they came in later and got another one. I don't know. But it was like, this can't be the set process to happen when somebody doesn't answer their phone on the first ring. Oh, my God. I, well, I've never gotten a pizza on an Uber ride. That would be cool. Uh, but yeah, that's crazy. I never knew that actually happens outside of that happening to yeah. me at one time. And he was so confused when Patrick was like, why, why did you do that? Like, he just didn't understand. Well, it, we use Grubhub delivery for Grubhub and Uber Eats does their Uber Eats delivery. 99% of the time there's no issues. But when there is an issue, it's something shockingly silly, like what you dealt with. We've had pizzas get delivered upside down. <laughs> You know, That's somehow crazy. the pizza <laughs> rotated 180 degrees in the car. You, know? you also run the risk of somebody driving like a jackass and then everything moving around mm, a lot. Yeah. When, I was, um, when I was young, I delivered for Kamahachi out of Northbrook, and it was one of my first jobs. And I notoriously was, I used to drive very, very fast. And I, I raced cars. So I was a kid and an idiot, so I was driving kind of quick. And then the sushi would shift all over the place. So my first delivery, somebody called in and was like, everything that was on top of the sushi is no longer on top of the sushi. It's on the side. What the hell? And the, the manager was like, what did you do? And I was like, oh, it's my first delivery. I think I was driving around corners too quick. So I realized when I was delivering food, I had to deliver driving like a normal human being. I couldn't drive to places too fast. Because I thought, get there really fast, get back, get another order, and just keep going out or deliver the food fast. But I fucked up all the food. Well, I mean, that's what we used to ha have a courier service that we used. So it was mostly kids on yeah. bikes. And that is the thing, though, when you we have kids people. doing it. Yeah. yeah. And there was one time... There was an order right around the corner from Compass, and the guy called after we'd already sent the pizza out. He's like, hey, I forgot to ask for a side of ranch. And we weren't super busy, so Patrick's like, that's cool. Like, I'll just run it over to you. So Patrick, the pizza's long gone. Patrick walks over to this guy's apartment. The pizza isn't there yet. So Patrick beat him to the apartment with the side of ranch because the kid was like, I don't know, hanging out with his buddy like down the street. I love it. Yeah. Now, your your story about delivering the sushi, it reminds me of Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura when he's the UPS delivery guy. <laughs> yes, yes. Kicking the package down yes. the street. And <laughs> yeah, that was me with sushi at Kamahachi. It was my, uh, my only delivery job. I ended up not getting fired, and I did a much, much better job going forward because nice. I just drove slow. But I loved my car, and it always smelled like Japanese food. So that was eventually the end of my, <laughs> my, my sushi delivering uh, ordeal. We're almost out of time, which is awesome. We got a couple people who uh, you got Ali Sapa gave you guys a clap. Uh, Anant said great job patrick and felicia can't wait for our facebook live maggie said compass pizza and service are the best um they are they, they are, are. That's, how, that's how these guys want up here um 
Patrick, one piece of advice for somebody looking to become either an entrepreneur or um, get in the business of uh, bars and restaurants, which you might tell them the same thing Felicia did. You might want to I would twice. just know, um, know your industry before you get into it. And it goes to Felicia said, uh, people eat and drink in bars and then they decide to open a bar because they are familiar with restaurants from a, from a guest point of view. The analogy I usually use with people, I really like the wallpaper I have in both restaurants. I would never see somebody hang wallpaper and then open up a wallpaper company. Yet people do the, the same thing. And, it, and it's a low barrier for uh, entry in restaurants. All you have to do is have money or access to money and jump through the city hoops and they'll give basically anybody a restaurant. I think that's why most fail is it's the one industry that people have no experience of any time typing and then jump in on the ownership side and operate. And that's just a recipe for disaster. So if somebody wants to get into restaurants, go get a job waiting tables, go become a manager and see the day to day grind for a couple of years. And then if you still want to do it, go do it, you know, have fun with it. But um, you better know that you want to do it. That's fantastic advice. I, and I, I think you're right with any industry or any business, you better know what you're getting yourself into and have at least a little bit of experience in that industry before. Like you said, if you have a ton of money or access to money, you just decide you're gonna blow it on opening a restaurant or a bar. Um, an hour went by really fast with you two guys. It always does. John and I are probably gonna have to make these things like 90 minutes long. John's like, no, Sorry, I, don't, I, think so, yeah. I, I don't wanna man <laughs> these uh, controls for 90 minutes, but um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, for those of you guys who are watching, Tankard, Compass Bar, go visit these guys, especially during Nebraska games. It sounds like it's gonna be a whole lot of fun if you're a Nebraska fan. That's the place to go. Um, thanks again, guys. Um, Our pleasure. Can't can't wait to come by and uh, have some pizza and drink with you guys. Please I haven't do. done that yet. So <laughs> thanks for I'll having reach us. Out, I'll reach out and make sure you guys are there, and I'll yes. I'll come drink and have some pizza. Compass Compass is a Wisconsin bar, right? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. This show with the University of Wisconsin. Awesome, well. and that's got a big following in it Chicago. Does. Huge, it huge does. following. So, and I have a lot of friends that are Wisconsin fans. So go to Compass so when the Wisconsin go. games are on. Yes. Um, thanks again, guys, for coming on. John, um, you got anything for oh, Just make sure that uh, when you're at Compass or Tankard, mention Wheelhouse. Oh, yeah, that's and, right. And uh, get a couple percent off or something. For, Let's call it 15. Uh, yeah, 15 oh. percent <laughs> off. All right, 15 percent off. Very nice. Thank you. Um, uh, thank you, guys, and thanks again for coming on. John, nothing else? No, I think that's all awesome. we Awesome. We, we will be back next week. Uh, Three o'clock, we think. I got a Chicago Association of Realtors event. John and I are going to work out the time, but we will let you guys know ahead of time what we're doing next week. Three o'clock. Um, all right, it's going to be three o'clock. <laughs> um, three o'clock Wednesday next week. Uh, we'll see you guys. Um, see you guys later. In three, two.